0: Hello and welcome to another Bioprocess Insider expression platform, the podcast that goes beyond the news pages of Bioprocess Insider to bring you some of the most exclusive interviews within the biomanufacturing world. My name is Dan Stanton, I am the editor of said publication and also the host of this podcast. So I'm going to do something slightly different to um, some of the other podcasts and I'm going to take a look back at the bio convention that was held in San Diego in June. It was, of course, the first face-to-face bio since um, 2019 because of, um, well, COVID-19, of course. But uh, it was also an exceptionally successful event, at least from my point of view. I managed to speak to uh, a number of key industry leaders within the biomanufacturing and bioprocessing space. So uh, across the next few weeks, I will be bringing to you some of those interviews um, uh, edited uh, for your ears through this podcast For this first one I'm very excited to deliver an interview that I had on the Bioprocess international stage with Fujifilm DioSynth Biotechnologies CEO Martin Meeson. Now Fujifilm DioSynth entered the biopharma services space back in 2011 but has invested significantly in its network and is now one of the leading bio CDMOs. As well as numerous mammalian and microbial facilities, both operational and under construction, the firm has invested heavily in cell and gene therapy capabilities. The CDMO has also played a major part in countering COVID-19 and continues to do that today, something that um, I begin the conversation with Martin about. Something to note. Keen readers may have noticed that Fujifilm has just announced a 1.6 billion investment into its Danish mammalian stainless steel facility this was uh, announced a couple of weeks after I spoke with Martin, and unfortunately he didn't give me the exclusive scoop on the show floor, but I don't think that really changes the conversation here because that $1.6 billion came off the back of various other multi-hundreds-of-million-dollar investments, um, again at that Danish plant, and the, well, the close to $2 billion investment over at Holly Springs, which I do get to talk to Martin about. Anyway, um, if you like these, can continue to subscribe uh, both to the podcast and to bioprocessinsider.com. And apart from that, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Martin Meeson, the CEO of Fujifilm DioSynth Biotechnologies. Martin, welcome. Hi Dan, thank you. Was it a good pandemic for Fujifilm DioSynth?
1: How can you use the words good and pandemic in the same um, sentence? As a business
0: journalist, I often can.
1: (laughs) No, no pandemic is ever good. You know, we were able to respond with the services that we have, you know, to the needs that were out there for some of our partners. And it was great to have the opportunity to do that. I think there was a CDMO, you know, we were set up to be able to respond very quickly. We were used to pivoting quickly, you know, to having the ability to bring in new projects, get things started. We have a, a, a very large breadth of capabilities as well, so we're able to do it in numerous different modalities. Uh, we, particularly in the baculovirus uh, space, we're one of the leaders in that area, and we're able to to pivot really quickly and and start on the on the projects in that space. So. Was our response good? Yes. Was the pandemic good? No. I don't think you can use those words together.
0: O- of course, but you know where I was coming from. Um, one of your um, customers uh, during the pandemic, very much on the record, was uh, Novavax. Uh, you were supporting the, well, you are supporting the Novavax vaccine. Yes. Um, with it looking likely to get the green light in the US shortly, what, if anything, does that mean for Fujifilm DioSynth?
1: Um, so we continue to, to partner with Novavax. We, we have throughout the, the pandemic. We've supported them on all of their applications and, and the needs that I have, and we'll continue um, to do so as we go forward.
0: I suppose on a uh, sort of potentially negative fault Um, you know the Novavax vaccine has been described as coming late to the party and that that goes to some of the comments I made earlier about um, the demand for COVID-19 vaccines slipping away does that affect your um, operations your your top line um, at all the fault that the amount of capacity you will be supporting such projects with is going to drop
1: so we've got a very very wide uh, portfolio so, you know, we're not just working on that one project. There's, there's hundreds of other projects in the portfolio, many of them coming through to late phase at the moment. So uh, we're supporting it across the network. Uh, it's good that we've got all the capacity that we've got to be able to do that. But m- much of it's been used throughout the pandemic to supply non-COVID products. And we continue to, to do that as we go forward. I think one of the things you get when you work with a CDMO like ourselves is you do get you know the flexibility to, to increase quickly or you know to move um, on those volumes as we go over the life cycle of a drug, and that is really the one of the great things that we bring as a CDMOs to the marketplace. You can do that, and you can have that availability there. I think the other really good thing, though, is just the readiness piece. So I'm going to bang this drum. I mean, yes, that was a pandemic, but you know, I just I do I just worry we forget and we don't use the lessons that we've already learned today to be ready. You know, for potentially the next one as well, and I think the way that we've operated and the way that we've demonstrated we can do that, we need to continue to build focus on that, both with industry partners and government partners, to make sure that we are ready should we need to respond again. It's just so important that we do that as we move forward.
0: I wanted to drop COVID there, but I do want to ask you just on what you just said there. Are you uh, how are you actively, proactively um, looking? not looking forward to the next pandemic but how are you working with partners governments um, to uh, avoid future disasters
1: well it's being able to respond to them um, is the piece there we have a wide range of modalities I've said you're probably going to want antibodies first maybe before you move into vaccines we have the ability to do that very quickly we move into things like you know, Maro-X, it's a name, but continuous uh, manufacturing for antibodies is something that you can, can scale up upon on the ground extremely quickly. So having that flexibility to operate, you know, we're moving into mRNA to make sure we can support in that area as well. So for us, it's just making sure that we have the technical capabilities, but also just working with the supply chain. It's so important and we've seen and felt the uh, supply chain in this pandemic and just making sure that we've, we've got the support we need there which is why a lot of the things we're doing, and I know we've talked about this before, is just you know, taking some of that complexity and getting a little bit more standardization into that supply chain is just so important. It is so complex and changing things out from a regulatory point of view is just so difficult. So getting some level of standardization in there, you working closely with regulators. There's no point worrying about governments and partners. You know, we are partnering very strongly with the regulators to make sure that we are ready. The thing is not just ready for a pandemic response, but also to hurl those learnings into what we're doing today because kind of there are other indications out there that are really impacting patients and we need to just make sure that we're We're using these learnings for those as well.
0: If you can can leverage those lessons and then um, apply them to your current and future customers in whatever project it's gonna generally be for the better. Let's leave COVID um, for now. And hopefully next year, we won't be talking about COVID. Uh, Let's talk about capacity. And um, your CapEx projects are astounding. Uh, The building out of your facility in Denmark, a cost of nearly $1 billion, construction of your Holly Springs facility, $1.8 1.8 billion dollars i think it's reported. Um, i guess my first question is how are these two major projects progressing?
1: Uh, they're pro- progressing really well. I was just a few weeks ago I was walking around uh, the one in uh, in Denmark. Uh, or the bioreactors are actually in and they and and they're, and they're starting to the last piece of pipe it was going. So progressing really well in Denmark. I was actually just on the phone uh, with with Lars, who's leading it. He's actually at the site in Holy Springs now as well and they've actually just started Um, Concrete is down there as well, so uh, they're both tracking really really well to schedule and will be online uh, as we need them.
0: Both of these plants, along with um, uh, some of your other facilities, uh, are based on uh, fixed bed stainless steel systems. For a while, this industry was um, sort of moving away from stainless steel systems and um, really focusing on the flexibility of single use. Why in both of these major um, constructions have you focus on putting so much capacity and and fixing them through stainless steel rather than looking at a more flexible approach?
1: Yeah, so everything we do, the supply just matches the demand. We see the demand in the marketplace, partners are coming to us and requiring uh, this level of scale of antibodies. Um, We have a lot of SUVs in the system, probably the largest uh, site in in the US for, for SUVs down in Texas. But we could that's why we continue to invest in both M um, sizes because we do see a purpose for each of them as we go forward the 20,000 liter tanks are just producing a lot of doses very quickly that's important for a lot of our, our partners uh,
0: I, well I was going to are we talking pipelines um, of large patient population drugs coming through that? so that's really um, giving you the confidence to move um, so fast in the large capacity space or um, I just you know I, I've I've been covering this industry for a while and it, we've been speaking about smaller patient populations. Pandemic comes along and yep. that changes things. And then something like uh, Biogen's uh, Alzheimer's drug changed it. But as we've seen, that hasn't been particularly successful. So what, is, what are the pipelines like that are convincing you that this amount of capacity is necessary?
1: Yeah, they're strong enough to to justify that level of investment as you you might expect. But we continue to invest just in the large scale, but we're also in to the flexible and the the small um, scale items as well. So we're we're conscious as we go forward, the populations will be potentially reduced, which is great, because we're getting more targeted treatments. So we're ready to support that. But there are still demand in in the system for those those large population treatments. And we're making sure that we've uh, got the ability to match that demand.
0: Okay, let's move quickly on to gene, another area that, that, that you are heavily invested in. How significant is this sector of the industry for Fujifilm um both at the moment and looking ahead over the next few years?
1: Yeah, so we, there has been significant dollar investment in the, the large-scale air tanks, but significant assets put on the ground to make sure that we both on the ground today and committed to as we go forward, uh, both in the U.S. Uh, and in the European zone as well there's a lot of treatments out there where viral gene therapy, cell gene therapy treatments are needed. I think there's only 50 approved against the thousands of different indications for genetic uh, therapies. So for us as an organization, the excitement is bringing these products through to the patients. It's great to talk about big tanks and don't tell my cavex team that I'm not going to get excited about all this stainless steel. But for, for us, what it is, it's about what we can do With all these assets and what we can do with all this investment we're pouring a lot of the world's resources into this and we want to make sure that we're doing real good with it by getting treatments out there that's why the viral gene therapy the cell and gene therapy space is just so exciting because a lot of this is unmet medical need and i'm sure you like like i will speak to the patient population and and you know just talking to them even when you're just on the clinical journey and you're not actually getting to an approved product just talking to them and how they feel that you're actually making something that's targeting uh, you know, what, what they need is, is just, it's really, really impactful. So as an organization, we are, we are people and we just love, love pushing these diff- different therapies through.
0: Um, the complexity of these therapies compared to what was once deemed very complex things to make, uh, MAPS, um means that the approach to cell and gene therapy production is it, going to be slightly different. So I'm wondering if CDMOs like yourself are um, kind of taking the reins in this industry more than you might be in uh, recombinant proteins and, and, uh, and other modalities because there are so many unknown unknowns.
1: Well, what we've had the opportunity is to take the learnings. We've, we, we're kind of a decade ago. MABs are in a, in a different space than they, they are today. And, and I think what we've been able to do is accelerate The way that we've approached things like AAV and lentivirus, and now we're also starting to apply that to some of the cell and gene therapy areas as well. You'll know we've just invested quite um, heavily in in allogeneic capabilities. Autologous is just a very difficult way to treat patient populations as we go forward. So really the allogeneic space um, we see as a a very strong sweet spot for the therapies that are coming through.
0: Allogeneic, it it seems more deemed to um, uh, sort of services a CDMO um, should and could be able to provide, whereas uh, just that sort of personalised nature of, of, of auto is makes it have what well, makes having a network a, a very different um, uh, conundrum. I assume.
1: Yeah, that's a that is, that is a very difficult conundrum to, <laughs> to unpick at the moment for the services that we need. You know, we've invested in making sure we've got the capabilities to support in the allergenics health therapy space because we do see that we have a real role to play there.
0: Okay, so very quickly, between um, your huge and growing network and your um, investments in various modalities, um, I I believe, and this may have changed, so tell me if it has, that you you had a target to achieve an annual revenue of uh, 200 billion yen, about $1.8 billion, um, across your bio CDMO business um, by 2025. Are you still on track for this?
1: No, we're still on track for for that target. uh, That will be lined up with the assets that we're bringing Um, Online and putting into use between now and then so yeah, we're lined up for that target
0: and um, my final question should we be seeing any more? um, Investments acquisitions uh, Growth in house um, over over the next couple of years and if so in what sort of areas would you be? Looking to invest.
1: I'm sure that we'll be talking again very shortly (laughs) <laughs> we continue to, to invest. Fujifilm is a real strong supporter of what we're doing in, the, in this area and you'll continue to see investment both internal and external as we go forward to make sure that we can meet it.
0: Uh, and with that Martin Meaton it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you Dan.